With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. We are your hosts, Sanchez and Cedric. Cedric, Cedric the uh, educator, the uh, brilliant mind that he is. Um, man, we've got a great podcast for you guys today. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're going to laugh, um, but know that we're not laughing at you if <laughs> comments are directed <laughs> directed towards a culture. <laughs> if one of these things happens to resonate with something you've done, it ain't personal. But learn. <laughs> right, right, right. So, Cedric, what did you do this weekend? Um, so my wife went out of town this weekend, so it was me and my girlfriend. Yes, I refer to my daughter as my girlfriend, even though I don't do like the creepy daddy daughter kind of like pictures where, you know, basically, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm standing in for her, her husband until, you know, that, that, that whole, that I'm definitely whole calling cultish the thing. Anyway, uh, yes, Isla and I were, were hanging out. We, uh, had fun this weekend, uh, made some Pumpkin pasta, pasta gnocchi with some sweet Italian sausage and a hazelnut cream fresh sauce. It was... That sounds really good. It was very good. That sounds really yuppie. Yeah, it is. It is. What can I say? I've been influenced. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, uh, I'm i trying to think about the weekend. Um, I hung out with family. Um, we had a Friendsgiving at our shop at good bottle on sunday for some friends and it was really cool mm-hmm. um yeah it was a pretty chill weekend um we didn't go to church we kind of rested and enjoyed the sabbath Word. as a family which is very rare that we get to um rest together and just enjoy each other and um we had a blast and uh and so yeah so that was our weekend um but yeah if you're you're just now joining our podcast uh we want to welcome you guys and um kind of let you know what you're getting yourself into again cedric and i are two brothers living in charlotte north carolina we aka black guys black guys brothers um i'll try to say it politically correct (laughs) um cedric is from michigan i'm from south carolina um, and what we're going to do is we're going to try to give you holistic perspective. Um, and again, we started this podcast just in response to a lot of people feeling like we need to have conversation about our experiences and our perspective um, theologically, socially, economically, um, systemically, and any perspective that we could have that could help bring insight to our culture and our church today. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to have a conversation. And today's topic is... Don't you love it when white people blank? So let's play a game. Let's play a game. So um, obviously our titles are a little bit more uh, provocative, but uh, we're doing that intentionally just to be lighthearted yet still bring some truth to certain areas. And so um, the first thing I want to ask you, Cedric, Mm -hmm. don't you love it when white people touch your hair? So... (laughs) 
<laughs> I whenever I think of this, I immediately think back to on the bus on the way to school in junior high. It was in eighth grade. And, uh, you know, it was the the era of the 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 medium top to high top fade. Mine was about medium. And I'm just sitting there on the bus next to the window, minding my own business, when all of a sudden I feel these little fingers on the back <laughs> of my hair and these giggles of, oh, my gosh, it feels like lamb's wool. <laughs> <laughs> lamb's wool? <laughs> yes. And, oh, man. of course, there's these two girls who happen to be white sitting behind me who just took it upon themselves without asking, without saying anything to feel my hair. They were so intrigued by, I don't know, the texture, the appearance, how it was just different from right. what they're used to. That I guess they, they couldn't touch the lamb at the zoo. For real. So, and well, that's the other thing. I'm like, I know we live mm. in a school district that we refer to as a, a cornfield high, but there wasn't a lot of sheep. I'm like, yeah. how, how, how many sheep have you, you know, been petting that you're able to make that distinction that quickly? Well, if you're white, is anything <laughs> off limits? <laughs> I, touching my hair without asking definitely was not off totally limits. That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. I uh, I think me being so tall, I don't really let people touch my hair. Um, yeah. But in case you are white and are curious about touching um, your black friends' hair, um, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. They're not, they're not animals. They're not a petting zoo. And, and I know there's an innocent... Uh, fascin fascination with it, you know, because it is unique and it is different. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we are not animals. Well, and it's just the common sense thing of like personal space and boundaries. Right, right. Like you wouldn't do that to someone that you don't know that well or that you're just acquaintances with. Right. So like, I mean, I had another incident when I was volunteering in youth ministry and we're at a retreat, winter retreat. And I had an afro then, so it was, I mean, I was rocking it. Right. I mean, I could pull the hair at the top of my head, at the front of my face, all the way down to the tip of my nose. Right. And keep in mind, I'm a black youth, black, black youth volunteer in a youth group at that time that was about 100 deep. So we're at this retreat. We're sitting um, in the retreat center, multiple different churches there. And there is like one other black person there. I remember explicitly, he was actually a youth leader. And... Um, Sitting at the table eating breakfast, and all of a sudden, this uh, kid who actually grew up in in my subdivision, uh, who was in the youth group at the time, he snapped around and just chewed out this kid. I had no idea what was happening, but the guy took it upon himself, complete and utter stranger, to touch my hair. And Jonathan, <laughs> who is white but like lived in proximity with black people went to a school that was fairly diverse right he's like man what is wrong with you right what gives you the right what makes you right. think you can just come up and touch my youth leader's hair right oh because he's black and his hair is different you think you can just help yourself Ooh. i mean he straight Ooh. just chewed him out and i just i looked at him and That's i'm an like advocate. yes yeah yes he's an ally. like thank you jonathan you get it so proximity is very very important and when, when you have proximity you understand certain cultural and let's just face it personal nuances that are in and boundaries that are should be respected so uh this mm -hmm. next one yes yeah, so well one thing ahead, i will ahead, say ahead, though but also on top of that point 
ladies, white ladies, if you think you can't do cornrows, you actually can. It's just small French braids. Right. There you go. There you go. So there's a practical tip. And so this next one, I actually got it from a black Klansman recently. <laughs> they were in the kitchen and, um, you know, obviously the, the movie's racially motivated as far as it's pretty it's pretty spot on. Right. Um, and they were talking about how they don't like black people in one scene. It was the KKK. And, and one guy goes, man, but man, black people. They sure can dance. And it was like hilarious. And if you knew the character, um, you you would get what I'm saying. But don't you love it when black people compliment your dancing? Now, this is a thing that I feel like it's people assume that all black people can dance and all black people have rhythm and all black people can sing. And that's not necessarily true. Um, my dad can't sing. My dad can't dance. My sisters, some of my sisters can't sing. And, you know, some of them can dance, you know, so... Um, don't you love it when white people compliment your dancing? Let me just say, for the most part, I have completely retired from dancing <laughs> for a multitude of reasons. <laughs> uh, one is that um, my legs just don't operate the way they used to <laughs> from lower leg injuries, ACL, tear, uh, Achilles reconstruction, but also a lot of the weddings and events that I go to, because I live in predominantly white spaces, they just don't play the right music to dance to. Right, right. I don't really feel like getting down to, and I'm not a heretic for saying this, but I can't really feel my groove when I hear Sweet Caroline. No. And like, that's that's a staple in that, the South, and it could be, you know, nationally, but mm-hmm. um, but in the South, every wedding has Sweet Caroline. I mean, it's a great song to sing along to, right. but, like, but I, I didn't grow up in a house where we learned the words to Sweet Caroline, so I'm just sitting right. there waiting for the chorus. Fun fact, I didn't know that song until I played my first wedding like wedding gig in college and I, I my responsibility was to play dun 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 and the first one went dun 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 oh man people Ooh. gave me the look and it was a white wedding it was hilarious and they gave me the look like i had just committed like fraud like you slapped their mama like, oh man it was and i was like i will never miss that again and so uh yeah dancing is a false assumption that uh, is often perceived that all black people can dance, and some some people can dance, but mm-hmm. um, it's something about the the music that moves us to dance, and it's something that I think we deeply connect with with yes. our African yes. uh, heritage or yes. ancestry. Um, because I was talking, like I said on the last podcast, I was hanging out with a, a, a kid. He lives in, or he's from France, but his parents are Sen- you know, they're mm-hmm. from Senegal. And we're talking about similarities, and dancing was something. So dancing is familiar, and yeah. and within our culture, that's how we express ourselves emotionally. But uh, and so much of our music, the the drums, which help set the rhythm, is a core piece of the music. It's, right. It's it's just it's the framework, oftentimes. But you know, I, I will come out of. I will make temporarily excu- excursions outside of my retirement for ushers. Yeah. <laughs> Soon as I hear little John, soon as I hear that, doo, 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 yeah, yeah, I'm like, oh snap! <laughs> he turns into Albert Brooks. <laughs> if you ever see hits, you know what I'm talking about. So, uh, I get this next one all the time. Um, you know, don't you love it when white people ask you what you do? So, you know, I'm, I'm often in conversations with people and they say, you know, so what do you do? And, you know, um, and a part of that's to connect. And I say, you know, well, I'm a musician. 
oh, so you like rap? Can you like spit a, a verse right now? Do you are you on like iTunes and SoundCloud? It's like, hey man, I, I actually I don't rap. I'm a musician, and so <laughs> I get that. You beatbox? You beatbox? What? <laughs> oh man! Oh dude, do you know who? Did you listen to Drake or did you listen to Pusher T? Oh man, I love those guys. It's like, oh man, like I'm more of an organic kind of like musical um, musician, and so you know I listen to a little bit of everything. So uh, again, we're we're making light of some of the stereotypes um that 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 oftentimes people make and so another one is um you know don't you you know don't you love when you know white people following instructions <laughs> and so this is one i wanted to share from class last week i was at a uh, foundations for leadership class and we're talking about you know multicultural leadership mm-hmm. and and also within the context of church and so um, before the class, our professor had us write questions down, um, you know, for for the residency. Um, and so one person, one of my friends, she wrote, um, and she was a white lady, she wrote, um, you know, I want to hear from non-whites what white people should know. Mm-hmm. People of color. People of color, you know, because we had people from all over the world. And uh, we're sitting in class, and, you know, I was like, oh, shoot. You know, first thing, I'm like, all right, well, you know. The class is about sixty-five, thirty-five percent, which is great for mm-hmm. the school. And um, so I open up. You know, I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going to kick us off and you know do something like hard. I said, you know, so it's important that we listen, but more importantly, it's it's important that we build authentic relationship. And then my professor, who's white, he's an older white man. He said, let me stop. He's like, and I'm not trying to go against what I said, but it's important that we listen. And so we go on and on, and, you know, you know, about three of us shared. And then a white person raised their hand, and they said, yeah, man, I want to give eight bullet points to what, <laughs> what white people can do and what they should know. And don't you know, like, that ratio I gave you of, of 65, 35%, uh-huh. that was the representation of what white people should do. And it was white people speaking about what they should do, and it was like, Oh man, you just missed the mark. <laughs> you missed the question. You missed it by him emphasizing. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My point of listening. And so uh, it was really, really funny. So um, here's, an- here's another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't you love it when white people say you're the whitest black person I know? This is one that I have received a lot in my life as being the uh, token black guy of oh Cedric you're you're the whitest black person I know and you what know What does that mean Cedric So 
a lot of times I just let it roll off my back and I, I didn't anymore. pay any attention. But I've yeah, I've reached that point where now I call it out and I say, well, wait a minute. Think about what you just said. Right. That I am the whitest black person that you know. In other words, you are saying that you've come to expect certain behaviors, style of dress, decorum, what have you from black people. And I don't fit any of the stereotypes that you have come to expect from black people. You are also saying that you perceive white people, white culture to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. So the next question is, well... If I wasn't the whitest black person you knew and I was more of a black black person, would you be as accepting of me? Right. Would you be as um, would I be on the the quote unquote inside? Right. And I remember calling out one friend on it and he was like, oh, why are you trying to make it about race? And I'm like. I didn't make it about race. You You're did. the one who said <laughs> I am the whitest black person you know. Right. So that essentially implies that black people don't speak articulate. Yes. We're not educated. Mm-hmm. We we use slang. We use slang. Right. Right. Uh, or uh, what did Captain say in Black Klansman? Aren't you fluent in uh, jive and uh, <laughs> what else? <laughs> yeah, you just gotta watch Black Klansman. It's a great movie. Um, I almost spit this coffee all over the mic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's just and and I've gotten that before, mm-hmm. and a part of that is because well, you don't talk, you know, you don't talk a certain way, and sure, we can we can make the case or don't dress a certain you way. You don't dress a certain way. We can make the case that black people do it as well. You know, why are you talking white kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And so I think this is not, uh, you know, where, where it's supposed to be a term of endearment. It's really, uh, yeah. it's very dehumanizing. Yes. Um, without without realizing it. Right. Because I've never, it was never the kind of thing where I'm like, our friendship is over. Not even remotely close to that. But if anything, because of the friendship I've had with people that have said it, I've wanted to help them understand what it is that they're saying so that they do a little bit deeper introspection about the implications of what they've just said right and what that means for quote-unquote other black people that they come along that aren't as white right was that yeah yeah and you know i thought about this even like being in a blended marriage um i often think about you know what do white people think about my wife (laughs) hmm (laughs) <laughs> you know what I'm, you know what i'm saying like, oh yeah you know, know because back in you know 10 years or 15 years ago let's say um you know for a, a white you know girl to be with a black man or whatever it was you know well she must be like dirty filthy you know ghetto or, or fetishizes yeah, black men at yeah, the very yeah. least if not a little you know we used to have a term where i grew up they they referred to them as wiggers yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Or you would call the the white girls snow bunnies, right? Right, right. Which is very, <laughs> very offensive. And so, um, and I think we often um, the term "wiggers" used to offend me so much because, and it still does. Mm-hmm. Because think about what you're saying, right? Oh, well, they're just a white person trying to be black, and you're you're trying to be innocent in that, but you're essentially highlighting that wiggers are also mm-hmm. filling the blank, yeah. you know, and so. 
but you're not racist, you know? Right. You know, so. And it's like you wouldn't call a black person a nigger because you don't want to get punched in the mouth, but you're going to call a white person a wigger. I'm like, is it really that different? Right. And I don't know if that that is still an issue in in schools today. Yeah. yeah. It could. It could not be. I think, you know, it's, well, depends on where you go. It's been a while since I graduated from high school. Same, same. (laughs) But I do know that it is more... you do. Ha- I do believe it's still in in some of the school systems mm-hmm. and in in where we go, right. um, for sure. And, and I, I resonate and, and I see it more with white athletes who play in med- predominantly black sports like basketball and football. Well, you know, I think the term has been replaced with the term "wannabe thug." Right. So, like a person that I think of who I a lot of the same language and comments were made about that person the coded language was good old johnny football right johnny manzel right right Right. just the way he carried himself with the with the swagger and all that kind of stuff and it's like when when you start hearing these things the way that we've learned to hear them this coded language it's like okay, we we see what right. some of this criticism right. is about. Right, right, right. And I remember uh, I was coaching basketball a couple of years ago at a school. It was a private school, and uh, one of the white guys who mm-hmm. grew up playing basketball. Right. And he he talks with the swag, and mm-hmm. you know, at first people think like it's it's a put on. No, that's just who he is right. because his best friends are all black, and that's what he grew up around. And he gets criticized. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm like, well. Why are you judging him? First of all, he doesn't deny dude's family's loaded. Right. But that's just who he has become right. because of proximity. And so, mm-hmm. so anyways. Right. Which is interesting when you go back to what we were talking about a second ago. For him, it was a negative thing. But for us, being the whitest black person, it's a compliment. Right. Like you juxtapose those two right. things and it right. really reveals something about the way we've been trained to think about race. Right, right, right. Which is important. Which makes it, <clears throat> excuse me, which makes it very important for us to have these conversations, right? And to more importantly, have proximity with people, mm-hmm. um, because those those statements wouldn't be made. And so, right. Our next one is uh, speaking of, I guess, an ignorant tone. You know, mm-hmm. don't you love it uh, when white people say, "Well, I don't think like that." So, or, well, <laughs> I'm colorblind. I don't see color. <laughs> This one I always find fascinating because it'll come up when talking about race and racism, maybe a specific incident that happened and someone will be like, I I don't see I don't I don't think like that. So there's one incident I can think of in particular. Yeah, fantasy football. I got trounced this week. Uh, There's one incident I think of in particular where. A group of students that I had, we were learning about the history of racism in the city of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, for them, it was a lot of information, stuff that they had never had that candid of a conversation before. Um, but really from a position of them learning and not in any way accusatory. Right. And one of my boys immediately speaks up and he says, well, I don't think like that. And to give it further context... This was right after one of the girls had this epiphany in front of the group of 40 of us and said, oh, my gosh, like now it makes sense. And I said, what makes sense? She said, when we were in West Virginia for a lunch break on our way from Charlotte to Baltimore Mm -hmm. and we were in the Wendy's, she said, 
I have never been looked at like that in my life. Right. And I couldn't put my finger on what it was. And she, I said, well, what was it? She said, it was the fact that we were with you. Right. That right. you, the only black person in the group, an adult who was clearly in charge of the group, paying for all of the meals of the white adults and being friendly with all of us young, you know, white kids, like it didn't, it, they didn't like it. She said, I've never been looked at like that in my right. life. And now it makes sense. Like, I, I understand what it was. And the boy says, well, I don't think like that. And I just said to him, dude, did you not hear what she just said? Right. It doesn't matter if you don't think like that. Other people think like that. Right. And the fact is that when you're with me, right. you are affected by the fact that other people think like that. And, so, and we're grateful that you have that perspective, but yes, not absolutely. everybody has that perspective. And not everybody lives in your reality. Right. And there is a part of that saying, well, I don't think like that, is immediately trying to say, well, I'm not a racist, instead of instead turning and looking introspectively and saying, are there parts of this ideology right. that I've picked up? Even and, though I yeah, don't have like yeah. this innate hatred of people of color, right. are there parts of the the white supremacy ideology that black people are inherently in fear right. that I've maybe picked up by just being a part of this culture? Right. And you also have what we call white privilege that affords you the opportunity to not have to think like that. Exactly. You know, because mm-hmm. you're not constantly being reminded in subtle ways of in, of your color right. and your culture and mm-hmm. your heritage, i.e. why we brought up the whole, you know, white black guy and dancing and mm-hmm. all these things. And so, yeah, like if the only time you have to face your 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 color, the way that you've been racialized or put in a racial category is when you fill out a survey. Right, 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 <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's interesting because. You know, like I've heard these two together, like, you know, I don't see color, you know, I don't think like that. And it's like, man, that's great. Like, I really value the innocence of that. And what they're trying to communicate is Mm -hmm. I just see people for people. You're either good, you're bad, you're moral, you're not, you're Christian, you're not. Like, is is that black and white for some people? However, that is very harmful because at the end of the day, putting our Christian hat on, like, we're created uniquely in the image of God. And that, yes. and the nature and the in the doctrine of God is that He is diverse, mm-hmm. and that's something that should be taught across the board. And yeah. we should celebrate that diversity, and we should move, uh, become more diverse by become becoming more unified mm-hmm. by inter. You know, I think there's a word called intersectionality, and that's very important. Mm-hmm. And I think it's time for cultures to intersect more Mm -hmm. and and unify in that regard. Well, I I want to camp out on something that you said, because I think it's really important, just the theological implications of not only the way we as mankind have been made, but as creation has been made. Right. So one of the things that often gets lost in the Genesis one creation account, because we get in these silly arguments about young earth and old earth creationism is that in Genesis one, we see this pattern where God created, a specific part of creation and he creates distinctions within that component of creation so he makes the sun and the moon as a part of creating a day he makes 
the birds of the sky, the beasts of the field, and the fish of the sea. But all of these are creatures. He makes distinctions between all those things. We see the distinction right. within which he has created uh, the things that grow from the earth, from trees, from flowers, you know, right. so on and so forth. We see all of these distinctions. He creates right. this distinction of mankind between male and female. Right. But then we see that... We, we're going to try to turn around and say that we don't see the distinction of color, even though we can recognize the different colors of a dog right. or a cat. Right. Or here's one. So my wife is Scottish. Mm-hmm. My wife still has her accent. When my wife speaks, people immediately are trying to figure out what country is she from. Right. And it's because they can hear. They're not tone deaf. Right. And they recognize there's something about that accent that says you're not from here. Right. And based upon what country she's from, they're going to know a whole bunch of her just surface level history without right. trying to make assumptions about her character or what kind of person she is. They're going to know some baseline things about her history. Right. Like. Don't sit here and tell me that you can hear right. her accent, but then you can't see and acknowledge my color that you are like training yourself not to see the 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 melaton right. of my skin right. and therefore know that there's a history, there's a baseline story that right. comes with that. Like right. knowing those things, I want you to know and acknowledge those things. Yeah. But when it gets to the other things of assuming you know things about my character, my culture, my culture or with Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My kind of music yeah. I listen to, or if How I'm well a, I dance, right? Yeah. Then that's when you're going a little too right, far, right? And I think we miss the, you know, um, theologically speaking, we miss the fact that creation exists to complement one another, yes, and to be the ultimate fulfillment of it. Night could not exist without day, right? Day would not exist without the sun and the moon. Mm -hmm. The birds of the air, the beasts on the, of the field, and the seas of the creatures, they all have their own individual dominions, but they all need each other. Right. You know, and so, like, we miss the fact that, sure, we're created differently, we're, we're different, but it's we should celebrate those uniquenesses and value those things because at the end of the day, they're all needed. Right. And I think that's very, very important. And when we can talk about that with man and woman, like, you know, hearing the fact, you know, a great lecture on uh, how women complement men in, in uh, leadership and, and ministry. Um, it was very profound. And, you know, you can get into the arguments there. But um, there's it, imagine what happens when we start going beyond our prejudices, prejudices, our comforts, mm -hmm. and we really start looking at context. 
of why people are the way they are mm-hmm. you know and so anyways we'll we'll do another podcast on women yeah um in leadership and yeah, ministry. i mean i don't know if we've had this discussion i'm more egalitarian in my view than mm-hmm. complementarian because i mean i think there's ways that we complement each other it's not just you know women complimenting men but i think men compliment women but you know that's a whole right other, whole other podcast that we yeah. will have um, <laughs> so um yeah um the last one is one of my favorites <laughs> Don't you love it when uh, white people do duck lips when they dance? Why do some white people poke their lips out when they dance? <laughs> I find this to be hilarious, especially if it's a rap song. I must just be in my own zone yeah, that I don't even notice. Especially if it's a rap or hip-hop or a pop song. And like it's like older people, like they get in this like groove, like they want to mm-hmm. be cool. And then they just poke their lips, their lips out. <laughs> it, it is hilarious to see it. If you've not seen it, man, like I'm, I'm going to have to watch the next time I'm at a wedding. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably, man. I'm probably spending a little bit too much time at the bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is hilarious to see. So that's one of my favorite um, things to see. Um, and this transitions us to the importance of mindfulness. And we want to talk about mindfulness. Um, we've given you some examples. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, some of you aren't offended by what we're saying because we are trying to be comical, but also bring some um, tension to some of the things we yeah. we are addressing. And it goes a lot deeper than this. There are other examples, but we didn't want to bore you with that. But um, my my first thing about mindfulness: mindfulness happens when you have proximity, mm-hmm. uh, when you are in relationships with people. Um, you become mindful of who they are because you are learning about their character, their culture, and you're going beyond their skin. You're going beyond the stereotypes and you're going beyond um, the ignorance within your own self and sure of the other person. And you're, you're starting to get to know them for who they are. And, you know, again, the whole I don't see color thing, um, you can't, you can't, you can't see, you can't not see color when you don't have proximity with people. Right. It's, it, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you gave the example of the guy that advocated for you. Mm-hmm. That's because he had proximity. Yeah. He, he, he exercised mindfulness and then he spoke out on behalf because he has credibility mm-hmm. to do so. But now in the society we live in, we were just talking about on the way, we have a lot of, you know, white friends that are starting nonprofits because they all of a sudden are, they're trying to leave a legacy. And the last thing on their list to do is try to accomplish and fulfill racial uh, inequality and, and racial justice. And so they start nonprofits, but they, they're doing this ha- after living a life of not having proximity. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden, quote unquote, it's a conviction. Right. And so. And, and, and it makes me wonder how truly strong of a conviction that really is when you've lived a life and look i'm not saying it's intentional it's a byproduct of the way our society has been engineered but when you've lived a life of separation right like you're probably not as qualified as you think and you would never let your white daughter marry a black man never (laughs) never you 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 would not even consider you wouldn't let and let me go even let me not be as harsh you wouldn't as your parent as a parent Mm -hmm. setting your kid up for success by you know say they got a full ride to college and you save for college and you're using that money for down payment you would not let them live in urban communities 
you would force them or tell them or have a problem with them living in the inner cities mm-hmm. unless it's going to be a benefit two years down the road and a, a great return on the investment. Right. Mindfulness goes a long way. Mm-hmm. You know, the second thing that we, you know, we want to talk about is, you know, mindfulness, as I hinted on, leads to understanding or leads to listening more than understanding. And I think we try to understand what we're hearing. Sometimes you can't. You just got to sit with it. Yeah. You know, and and so I I think that's important. And I think it's also important that – go ahead, go ahead. You you have to really marinate on what you've just heard in order to understand. The understanding is not an instantaneous thing. and and, You can't skip the processing. Right. You can't skip the process. And part of the reason why you can't skip the process is because, again – we try so often to characterize or make a caricature of the issue of race that makes it an extreme that we can't see all the gray areas within which it just exists right. without malicious intent. Right. And so you really do have to marinate on right. it instead of immediately trying to understand. Right. And I think the reason why you know, some of my white friends skip the, the listening under, or listening and processing part is because I think in that process, you begin to realize the reality that most people of color mm-hmm. didn't create these systems. Yeah. And they didn't create this tension. They didn't, they didn't create these systems that oppress them or, or whatever the case right, might be. Right, but we have to exist within it. Right, right. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and when you understand the realities and the mm-hmm. heritage of where this comes from, um, yeah, yeah, I get why it's hard. Yeah. And I get that a lot of times when I've heard the kind of comments that try to exemplify that my friends understand even though they haven't really listened mm-hmm. i recognize that that more than likely is coming out of a place of wanting to assure me right. that i'm safe with them right which i appreciate on but one that's hand so dangerous because you're not and those that think you're your safe place without listening and understanding and, and like dare to dare to be mindful enough to never say anything mm-hmm. and you know going back to my class analogy like Literally, the professor started the thing, the 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 question with, "I want to hear, you know, from non-whites." Mm-hmm. And again, more white people spoke about how they should communicate to themselves. And th- this sounds bad. None of it was helpful <laughs> because you just disqualified yourself based on asserting your opinions in it. And so, you know, sitting in that. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I apply mindfulness to just being mindful. It, it correlates to relationships. You know, I'm mindful of, you know, for instance, your car is in the shop. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be mindful and say, hey, Cedric, you want me to take you to get your car? Thank you. You know, like <laughs> that's being considerate. But, you know, it started with me listening like there's a need, mm-hmm. process, whether or not what that means to me and how it impacts me. Okay, now I'm going to respond. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's a practical example that I could give. But, you know, sure, it's small like a card. But when you're talking about relationships, yeah. when you're talking about heritage, when you're talking about generational things, mm-hmm. it, processing, it, it's not, it's it's going to take longer than 10 minutes. It's going to like take longer than 10 years, honestly. Yeah. And so um, another thing that I think mindfulness implies uh, is meekness and humility. Yeah. 
Um, and, and it also it highlights vulnerability. Well, and meekness is an interesting one because my understanding of meekness is is not someone who is shy right. or reserved. Meekness is the lack of the power in the position to actually fix right. things, right? Right, which is so, why I was very strategic with the word. Right, which yep. is really hard when the whole history of race in America hinges on the idea of who has power and who doesn't. Right. And so there is a part that when you really truly understand the nature of racism in this country as a white person, you have to recognize that you have power. Right. And in order to actually help resolve and remedy the problem of racism in America, it means that you actually have to willingly sacrifice and give up power, right. which is really, really hard when it's something that you, in essence, are born with in right. this country. Right. And, you know, I was having a conversation with a friend who's a baby boomer this morning, and he was saying that's the biggest issue with boomers. Um, they don't want to give up power. They mm-hmm. want to leave a legacy. Um, you know, in their generation when they were, you know, probably more my age, mm-hmm. um, it was all about big. It was all about the institution. It was all about power. It was yep. all about, you know, we've reached the pinnacle of education and we've stopped learning. Um, and then, so this idea of meekness has, you don't hear it in their vocabulary. Yeah, yeah. Much. So here's one. And I never really thought thought about this as we were preparing for the podcast but as i continue in this process of looking for my next position in full-time ministry full-time vocational ministry and looking at all these different churches that have you know job postings up and one of the big movements these days are are churches that are planting churches you know Mm -hmm. we want to grow by planting churches instead of making the one big mega church we're just gonna have our 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 mega church broken into small conglomerates right right? and it's fascinating and i'm just kind of shooting off the hip here with this how sometimes that also combines with this wanting to address the issues of justice and wanting to plant diverse churches and yet how it doesn't seem that's happening in a lot of cases because of the fact it still keeps the whole dynamic of power firmly in play right unchanged and the dna yes right right and so i had a friend i was you know um hanging out with a friend of mine yesterday and we were talking about this very thing and he said, you know, there's there's because we're talking about the differences between multi-ethnic and multicultural. Mm-hmm. And some people think they want multiculturalism, but they really want multi-ethnic. Right. Right. And um, explain get, to folks the difference. Right. So I'm, I'm going to do it through this analogy. So multi-ethnic says, you know, Cedric, you know, you're in my house right now. Mm-hmm. I want to become multi-ethnic. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep everything up about the house. Mm-hmm. Walls, design, layout, right. foundation, roof. AC unit, and I'm just going to paint the walls. Mm-hmm. We have different color. Right. Multiculturalism says, I'm going to keep the foundation. Mm-hmm. Christ is the center and the head of the church. Yep. All the important thing. I'm going to keep the roof, mm-hmm. you know, Christ, you know, all that. But I'm going to completely renovate the inside. Right. 
I'm going to build new walls. I'm going to build a layout that's conducive for flow, for families, for mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. Right. I'm going to make it more beneficial so that when different people and cultures walk in here, mm-hmm. they have something that they resonate with. <laughs> so <laughs> when you're giving that illustration, I'm going to the fact that like, and this is a generalization. Mm-hmm. I'm acknowledge that right up front. Most of us, most of the things we say, it's a generalization. Right. That when you said about the AC, when I go into white homes, it is freezing. freezing. And when I go into a home of predomin- of, of, of a black family. It's really warm, oh, like yeah. borderline a little too hot. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I literally asked to say, hey, man, are you cold? And I was like, man, I got to go turn the heat on. My son's going to come home for a nap. <laughs> yeah, but I hope that analogy kind of helps you see the differences. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, when you're talking about multi-ethnic, you're predominantly saying, like, we just want color like colored faces in in our congregation right we ain't gonna turn up the ac you know turn up the heat a little bit so that you're comfortable we're gonna keep it cold up in here we're gonna keep it cold (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna drink our LaCroix. we ain't gonna have no sprite no kool-aid right you know or we're gonna have the kool-aid with no sugar in it right 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 (laughs) you know uh, yeah or a sweet tea with like you know a teaspoon of sugar in there you know like we don't want to do things to adjust and change our culture because this is how we built our church right. and this is why our church is successful. Right. No, I'm sorry. You didn't build your church mm-hmm. based upon yeah. like it being successful because you had a good thing going. Right. So like I have a friend who comes over for dinner regularly, hasn't been over in a while, but um, she's a friend of my wife and I, a co-worker with her. She's vegetarian. Right. Right. Now I like to cook. Yeah. Love to cook. Be getting my culinary skills on. I'm more of a keto cook. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, when she started coming to the house, I started trying to figure out, okay, what are some good recipes that I can make that feature vegetables that isn't just a salad or some boiled, you know, frozen vegetables, right? So it was really cool because it expanded my horizons, my ability, and I started to learn different ways to prepare uh, vegetables. Now, if... If that's that's the idea of multiculturalism, right? right? Exactly. Whereas multi-ethnic, you know, well, yeah, she's in my house, she's vegetarian, but I'm still serving nothing but meat. Right, right, right. I agree. And I think, again, going back to and that was such an, an important thing to, to remember when you're defining the two. And I think it's important that we define those two very clear. And we be clear and concise about that because a lot of those lines are very blurred right now. And I think, again, going back to my statement about the idea of what is a successful church, mm-hmm. you know, I, again, last week in class, you know, I, I posed a question to my white friends and I said, why should people of color want to come to your church? Hmm. And a guy during our break said, well, it's because we have great teaching. I said, well, my dad's a great teacher. What do you mean by that? Well, why did you come? To, he's like, well, why did you come to the seminary? It's because of great teaching. I said, is that an assumption? Are you are you answering the question for me? Or are you asking me? I said, because I didn't come because of the teaching. I came because actually the church I worked for at the time didn't like acknowledge my uh, ordination and said I had to go get a master's degree. And this was the school that they worked with and were sending people through their pipeline to. Mm-hmm. All right. And then, of course, there's no acknowledgement of how for decades— 
um, most seminaries wouldn't even train or teach black men. Until the 80s, to until, be precise. In, yes, yeah. until 80s the 80s. is when it, you first see the integration yeah. of, there may have been a few exceptions, because mm-hmm. I, I do believe, I have to look, do my homework, but Tom Skinner, he, he, he was one that got it yeah. and had the language and the mm-hmm. lingo. Um, but the exceptions weren't made until really the 80s. Right. And then it's only been in the last 10 years right. that you've seen an even more dramatic shift. Right. Because a lot of people, um, and I think that's the fear, is that because people like yourself and, and I, like you and I, like we're educated and we're learning the gaps right. and we're calling it because we preach accountability exactly and we're saying okay well let's talk about this issue because when you talk about women in ministry for an example Mm -hmm. this is what the context is in the greek and hebrew that you taught me and the class that you taught me how to exegete the scripture and to see it through these lenses right as paul saw it who paul was talking to Mm -hmm. and then i do that oh now we want to no you're being forced to wrestle with the ideologies that you have formed and that have been handed down by people to intentionally segregate and right. compartmentalize Well, things. and and if you're one who loves the work of Martin Luther King Jr., but you question his theology, like then you also have to question the system that made it so that he couldn't go right. to a more traditional seminary. Right. But Cedric, he, he had affairs on his wife. <laughs> Man, really? Yeah, I mean, not excusing that, not... uh, But you you stood for, at the time, most conservatives during that time were Mm pro-abortion. Most of them were Mm pro-segregation. Most of them were pro... Like, why why do public or private schools exist Exist, in the first place? Let's talk about busing. Let's talk about redlining. Let's talk about all of these issues that you support and advocate for. Mm Mm-hmm. But you act like it was just a myth and it didn't exist. Right. And so, again, if you think that what you have built in your church mm-hmm. by being successful and you're able to plant like multiple campuses, then ask yourself, why is it that you're fearful of actually going into urban communities? Because you will quickly be humbled to know that that doesn't work for everybody. So why would you <laughs> expect it to work for people of color coming into your space? Yeah. It goes back to mindfulness. Mm-hmm. It goes back to meekness. It goes back to humility. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember a guy asking me one time years ago, so, like, what do you think needs to happen so that churches can be more diverse? And I told him straight up, like, here's the reality. The culture of the predominantly stereotypical white church and the predominantly stereotypical black church, the DNA of those two churches are so different that if you were to actually have a, a true diverse multicultural only you know ethnic church because they weren't talking about multiculturalism like one of those two dnas has to die right which is interesting because i mean i, I it kind of goes back to don't you love it when white people will fetishize black worship mm. God, that was so much fun, man! I actually, I actually dance. I actually lift my hands, man. It, it made me so happy inside. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. Which always, also on a side note, cracks me up when I, when I, when I watch like a podcast of a black guy preaching in a white church and he's trying to work out amens and hallelujahs from him. Right. It's like, dude, 
just give the message. Right. But they want it. You know, like they hire they hire black communicators, they hire black worship leaders, and then when it's not received by the congregation, there's a problem with the black person. No, it's not a problem with the black person. It's not at all. And, mm-hmm. and I see this happening over and over. Go read the blog, A Black Face in, a, in an Evangelical Space, and you will see some of these tensions of we want black faces. Again, mm-hmm. multi-ethnic. And when we go into their cultures, it's mm-hmm. awesome, and we got to have this in our culture. Right. You bring it into your culture, and then you dehumanize that person. Yeah. You rip them to shreds. Yeah. Yeah, they become a mascot. Because you more. hired them. All right. Based on their skin color and not who they are right. and how God has created them right. to be. Which is a really difficult tension because there are more and more churches that are at least on the first steps of trying to acknowledge these historical problems, trying to address it in real life and context. And right. so, you know, you have some churches that are very intentional about wanting to bring in someone who would be more diverse and representative of the kind of diversity that they right. they really want. Right. But there comes that tension of, okay, like, are you really committed to this holistically or just from an appearance sake? And that's a question that is really tough to answer until they actually have that person in there and start hitting up against some of those things. Right. Right. Depending on the person and how comfortable they are of naming some of the things, which is really hard then to receive because then it's like, well, our intention was good. So like, what's the big deal? Right. And it's like, yeah. So if your attention is sincere then you're going to be willing to hear this feedback and not see it and hear it as an assault of your character and 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 not question whether or not the person is loyal because that's the first thing people go to (laughs) well you're not loyal you're being divisive you're you're being angry and so for me i i I recommend all Mm -hmm. of my 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 minority friends that go into these spaces you need to say hey like i'm willing to come here but i want to have a five-year contract and i can leave at any time Mm mm-hmm Hmm. because it takes time to do this and you can't just expect to put a black face in these positions and then your church change. Yeah. And don't you love it when white people assume that, Oh, you put a black person on stage. Oh, diversity is going to come and we're going to quote unquote, have the kingdom of God here in our church. But no, they're not. They're coming there and they're actually like, it's almost like being hung on the cross and being exposed in front of the whole like being beaten in front of the whole city <laughs> and being hung on the cross and like everybody can just see you exposed. Mm-hmm. That's that's in essence what is what it really feels like. And I know that sounds very like brash and, and harsh, mm-hmm. but that's why we're doing this whole podcast is we're sharing our experience, experiences of this. And we can continue mm-hmm. to say that it's not a race thing. We can we can we can say that it it comes down to theology, it comes down to all of these things that we believe. But mm-hmm. what happens when, you know, a person knows your theology? The good yeah. but also the gaps. Right. Well and even to more point, what happens when a person knows both theology and church history? Bingo. <laughs> Bingo, which is the greatest threat to I think the American like white church and yeah and American in general because you you do have more people of color right. that are in that space yeah and um you know I mm-hmm. I just really believe like if we don't change and if we right. don't start accepting different voices mm-hmm. and not being threatened by them right 
you know, it could lead to something great. Well, and there's this young brother I know <laughs> that he just got so fed up of like white Christians and white church. And he was kind of susceptible to some of those conspiracy theories, yep. you know, kind of thing. And even just getting to the point where he's even questioning Christ and the gospel. And I just had to say to him, look, dude. And I just started <coughs> pointing out things to him about church history. And this is a guy that went to a Christian school, a right. very good Christian school. He's like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, these are the things that we're not taught. And I said, and here's what you got to understand. They're not taught it either. So have some grace. Right. <laughs> right. Have some grace. It's right. not as malicious as you think it is. Right, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I remember the first time I found out Augustine wasn't like European white. It's like, oh, man, that explains his sex addiction. Because <laughs> I had read Augustine's confessions and I like studied him for a couple of years. And I was like, dang, that explains why he responded mm -hmm. and wrote some of the things that he believed. Right. So radically. Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, imagine what happens when you hear the stories of people. But anyways, we're running out of time. And, and um, this is great. This is a great podcast and refre refreshing. Again, I, and, and I know that you guys are, you know, especially our, our, our white listeners, you're looking for something practical to do. What's the application? What can mm -hmm. we do? Nothing. Just continue just, to listen. Just listen. Just continue to listen. Write, write down, journal. I would encourage journal yeah. how you feel. Like, be honest about how you feel. And yeah. then evaluate, is some of the, are, are some of the things that they said, can this, is this true? Mm -hmm. uh, whether I'm the person that doesn't see color and um, I don't think like that, well, why don't you think like that? You know, it's happening, you know, and then, you know, just just express how you feel. Yeah. Um, uh, ask good questions. Yeah, ask mindful questions. <laughs> be mindful about your questions not all questions are good questions no. and like really teach your questions <laughs> and your motivations and stuff like that so um so yeah be on the lookout for our podcast spread the word again we are two guys we're we're trying to be unbiased we're mm -hmm. trying to speak truth about this whole race thing um in an uplifting way in a comical way um we we love feedback um if you're going to rate us on itunes we ask that you only rate five stars. We, you know, if you have anything below four or five stars, just just email us. Yeah. We'll, we're open to dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, any final words? Uh, if you're in Charlotte, stay dry. Woo. Right. It was <laughs> raining. I feel like I'm in Seattle, which I love. So, all right, you guys have a good one. We'll talk to you, and we'll see you. Well, I guess we won't see you guys. Maybe we'll see some of you. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. Anyways, we'll catch you guys soon. Holla.